Hey guys, so Violently Funny Podcast is powered by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me break it down for you. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit every episode right from your phone, computer, or tablet. And then Anchor takes it a step further by distributing the podcast for you. That's right, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere great podcasts are, Anchor connects to them. Plus, you can make some serious green from your show with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a killer, hilarious, engaging podcast all in one place. And you know we're all about convenience here in 2019. So go ahead and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Bad Women is a new podcast powered by Cat Call and hosted by yours truly, Brittany Brave. Catcall is a platform promoting female leadership, progress, and camaraderie through original events and content. Follow along at We Are Catcall on social media. Guys, in this episode of Bad Women, we welcome Gabrielle Magid. Gabrielle and I went to college together at the University of Florida. We did a lot of improv together. Shout out Theater Strike Force. Um, and she is the founder of Stronger Than Stigma, an incredible mental health organization. I remember being at school with Gabrielle six to seven years ago and watching her lay the foundation for this dream that she had to start Stronger Than Stigma, and I'm completely blown away by what she's been able to achieve in a relatively short amount of time. It's so clear in this conversation that Gabrielle wholly commits herself to this work, and she's doing really important things in terms of building the right supportive community that helps break that stigma, break the taboo around talking about these conditions and getting that out of the way so people can get the support and healing that they need. One major theme in this conversation is how ignorance is often a huge block in helping us achieve progress. Um, So I talk about my experience with domestic violence um, and the misconception and the ignorance around talking about that. And obviously, Gabrielle lets us in on what it was like to build Stronger Than Stigma, what it took to really foster that correct kind of community, and where she's planning to take it in the future. So without further ado, Gabrielle Magid. Well, why don't we start with this? I would love for you to give the backstory on Stronger Than Stigma um, and, you know, like why you started it, what the context is within it um, and and what you're doing, because it's incredible work. So the floor is yours. Yeah. So um, I started and run Stronger Than Stigma, which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to mental health advocacy for millennials by millennials. So all about breaking down the barriers that keep people from reaching out for help and helping people feel comfortable in their skin and recognizing you are not alone. Um, I personally struggle with anxiety and depression and uh, really reared its angry head when I was 17. So my junior year of high school was just like awful. (laughs) It revisited itself in uh, my senior year. So just those last two years of high school were not pleasant not for, um, and this is supposed to be the most fun too so that's the that. heartbreaking yeah. i know but i think yeah. now I'm one of those judgy people that are like if people say that then they peak too soon because i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> you're like really i had the anxiety of a 70 year old when i was 17 okay like yeah with the program. <laughs> i'm ahead of the game just another way that i'm a trendsetter okay yeah <laughs> much pretty much <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, I, I actually echo you on that. Um, my senior year at UF, which, you know, we were, we were at UF together. And my senior year at UF was like the worst year for my anxiety and depression. Actually, like my, my last semester, I like couldn't even enjoy it. I was spiraling out of control. That's when I first, you know, like started really therapy and medication and everything. So it's funny. I think it's like those big moments in our lives trigger anxiety, good stress and bad stress all at the same time. So, yeah. 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 Not to cut you off though. No, no, no. That's yeah. yeah, That's definitely relatable. I I think I revisited that cycle back uh, when I was like, oh my God, I'm graduating and entering the real world. Yikes. What am I going to do? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I started this organization with a few friends back in 2013. So I was I'm always like, I'm telling this a bunch of, a bunch of times, but I'm also like doing math in my head and I don't know why, cause I already know the numbers. So it's still, <laughs> um, <laughs> don't remind me. Oh God, I've been out of college for seven years. Oh God. The, the anxiety. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 2013 was a big year. We launched mm-hmm. stronger than stigma. Um, I was 20 years old when I was signing all of the incorporation paperwork. So that makes me feel old. I'm 27 now. Oh, oh my God. Wait till you're almost 30. I wake up in cold sweats. <laughs> I do. I have dreams about being chased by student debt collectors. Like that. Those are my dreams every single night. <laughs> Calling Department of Labor. Like, so you just wait. 27. Enjoy the last little chunk of years. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't experienced that yet, but I, I'm, I've heard it's on the horizon, so I'll, I'll call you. Brace yourself. Yeah, 28 was the last year that I had fun. 29, I'm, I'm just like, I actually think I feel better once I'm 30. I think 30 has too much hype around it, and I know yeah. your 30s are probably a really good decade, but it's just ingrained in us with society, and it's too big of a weird milestone and whatever people expect for you to have. So I actually think I'll feel better once I crack into 30 and I'm in it and I see that I'm just fine and everything's going well, but it's like a roller coaster on an incline where you know the drop is coming. Like that's yeah. how it feels now at 29. And you're like, oh, but yeah, carry on. Yes, anxiety. Yeah, no, and it's, it's yeah. funny too, cause it's like people joke, you know, age is just a number, but I really think that that's just what like wrinkly old men say to younger women. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think that that phrase holds water yeah, that's definitely their argument when they're hitting on someone half their age who should be their daughter. It's just a number. You're like, yeah, okay. And so is your criminal record, buddy. Okay. Uh, just, just uh, It's only four times I've been arrested for this. Anyways, um, the floor is yours. I'm sorry. We got derailed on a great tangent. But a good no, it's, yeah. it's all good. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. So we started this organization uh, 2013. Um yeah, so I so I ran it the last part of my college career, mm-hmm. and upon graduating, um, my friends and I looked at each other, and they all had plans for their lives. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> you know, um, they Love knew it. they were going to go to grad school and yada yada, and I'm super proud of them, and they're all in different industries helping others, so I think that that's really, really cool. Um, but it left me with this like existential question of like, do I graduate and move someplace cool and like start a cool career? Or do I, you know, move in with my parents and figure out what I'm going to do with my baby, aka stronger than stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I chose that option because I just wasn't ready to see it die. And I wanted to um, 
grow this this child of mine. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I was pro-choice and pro. It's life at the same time. I was both at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. And I, I worked like some odd jobs. My first job out of school, I was a carpool mom. So this awesome family in Jacksonville needed somebody to pick up their daughter um, who went to a, a cool school, like on one side of town. And then we're actually living in the largest uh, city in the contiguous United States. So AK, we're really spread out. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I didn't actually know that about Jacksonville. Okay. Oh, so you were actually traversing across the city. Like that's what you were doing. Yeah. yeah like I think it took an hour and a half to do the whole schlep um, once, you know, once a day. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I only insane. had to pick her up at the end of the day. But these poor parents had to do it twice a day until they met me. So I was very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they needed me and I needed them. So it worked out really well. And then I had a, a buddy in the front seat. And that was around the time that Hamilton came out. So she'd never heard of it. But I taught her her history lessons. Let me tell you. <laughs> Introduce her to the classics. That's yes. It. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, um, I mean, I think this is amazing. And I, I mean, so I'm, I'm super proud of you for so many reasons, but, um, I, I wish I would have taken a page out of your book, um, because I had, I didn't question that when I was graduating. Cause I was very, very certain of what my plan was up until I was five years into that plan. And then I didn't want that plan at all and didn't want to touch it. Um, so if I could actually go back and, and change anything, I would have done what you did, which was, I would have moved back in with Karen and Tony and, and let like comedy just kind of take the front seat. But that's so, that's so hard because the whole world and your friends and society and conventional principles are telling you, go to grad school, go get a job, you know, go follow whatever the formula is. So yeah, <laughs> kudos to you, basically. Kudos to you for that. Thank you. But I feel like, you know, some higher power was listening to you and like gave you this quarantine and had you move back <laughs> in with them. So it's like, no <laughs> chance, Brittany. <laughs> I am regressing. We talked about it a little bit on last night's chat. I am like, my mom can't even handle it. I'm like laying in the couch in my Snuggie. And I'm like, can you go get me Benadryl? And she's like, get up. No, like just because you're living at home doesn't mean you're 15 again, asshole. Like you're 29. <laughs> she reminds me of 30 a lot. Anyways, um, so that's incredible. So um, what did those early stages look like? Um, so also too, like how soon did you file for the 501 c 3 is what it is, right? Like how yeah. soon did you do that? Yeah. Um, let's see. So we incorporated in 2013. The state of Florida might do things differently than other places because let's mm -hmm. face it, it's Florida. We do everything differently than other places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um we registered and we incorporated um in 2013. I it was in August. And then I'm pretty sure no, okay, I remember we did the paperwork, so there's a form called the 1023. Mm -hmm. very sexy and it used mm -hmm. to be like um a book that you needed to it was like a stack of papers that you needed to fill out and then i dilly dallied long enough that they simplified it and they had like an easy form easy mm -hmm. so thank goodness i did that i think it was in early 2015 and they took their sweet time deciding but may of 2015 i graduated and i got a letter from the irs saying that our stra our status had been granted Oh so, my god, oh. how what perfect timing is that? I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. So it was That's really awesome. great. 
Yeah, that's awesome that you do. Yeah, um, I actually, I, I thought about doing that with Cat Call, but I'm glad I didn't because this has now evolved towards a little bit less of a nonprofit and it's kind of becoming like a media platform and other things too. Um, but that's great. So yeah, I mean, like walk us through, I'm so curious about how, how, so this has been a, an, an issue with a, or a topic of conversation with everyone with their entrepreneurial projects about splitting like what the actual mission is of the project, but then also making sure that it's profitable and you're raising money. So what did that look like to you? Like how much of it was like exposure and messaging and gaining a following and then having to shift your focus to like, okay, but we also need to be able to raise money and like, you know, mm -hmm. make this, make this a not for profit, but floating organization yeah yeah uh how much time do we have <laughs> <laughs> instagram will cut us off at an hour unfortunately i know i know i know when people i know it's one of those uh if you can give the cliff notes on a very complicated platform and talk yeah. yeah i'm yeah. allowed to like rant right like i can share oh, my this is for you this ain't about me <laughs> everyone who follows cat call has seen enough of my bullshit through a phone and computer screen over the last three months this is this is about you have at it <laughs> get ready folks no <laughs> Battle up. Um, it all started in 1994. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I had a dream. And then I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I think that um, my experience as an entrepreneur or social entrepreneur has definitely been impacted by the fact that A, I'm a woman and B, I was 20 when I started this. And I feel like everybody made me uh need to prove myself over and over and over again i feel like i still wake up some days and feel like i'm still proving myself and this took an amazing amount of blood sweat and tears it, and it still does i'm still crying from time <laughs> to time yeah um, but it, it's it's unbelievable how much i think that age played a role in my you know trajectory because i think that if had I been 10 years older starting this, I think that people would have listened maybe a little more closely and trusted mm -hmm. me. But also you have to remember in 2013, nobody was talking about mental health. It wasn't trendy yet. Like I, I, you know, we, we had a hunch, you know, and it was based on personal experience. My, my friends and I had personal experiences that made us think, hey, the people that we're meeting and talking to struggle with this stuff, but they're not talking about it and everybody's online. So let's post memes and see if we can get people to comment on them and see if we can have a conversation online, you know, behind the privacy of a keyboard. Mm -hmm. And that's how we launched. So, so things worked really, really well. But then we started getting messages from people around the world saying like, well, where do you guys meet and how can I get involved and support you? And we're like, holy shit. <laughs> so at that point, we were like, okay, we better start meeting in person. Um, let's start a, a campus club. And that's, we kind of approached everything backwards because back in the day I had pitched the original idea, which was just a campus-wide campaign at UF to mm -hmm. tell people where they can go to help get help you know there are free resources the, the counseling wellness center the disability resource center the infirmary could refer you you know all these sorts of cool things first um, time i cried in therapy first time i went to therapy and i cried was at the the infirmary i think that's what yeah. The, yeah it truly was yeah and i didn't even think it was happening until it was happening so yeah their, their services were incredible she's like you're crying i was like am i it's like my face was so <laughs> She's like, you're going through a lot. I was like, I guess you're right. <laughs> so those resources at UF were incredible. But yes, yeah, scary. Yeah. yeah.
Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Nobody knows about them or nope. if they do know about them. They don't want anybody to think they're crazy. I hate that word, but they, mm-hmm. you know, that was the, that, there was the stigma at work. And then everybody, you know, it's, it's predominantly Greek on campus. So everybody's in a fraternity or sorority. So we're all mm-hmm. like trying to fit in desperately. And it's hysterical because I thought those years were behind me in high school. Like all the rough stuff about like which lunch table to sit at, like, you know, I didn't rush. I, I joined TSF for God's sake. So no, me either. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what I mean. I'm not to isolate anyone who's tuned in, but that was, that was an aspect of college that felt really toxic and unhealthy to me. That's why I didn't, I didn't go down that path. But um, yeah, that is really true. You think you get past a lot of that petty bullshit in high school and then like, you're still, you know, and we were in TSF, which for those listening was the large collegiate improv and sketch troupe on campus. They were well known in the comedy community too and in college improv. Um, and they had their fair share of drama. Sometimes they felt like a frat or a sorority. Yeah, I had everything yeah. I needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a little hazing. There was kind of like unspoken initiation too. And yes, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so basically we, you know, I pitched this idea to the Dean about, let's just talk about where to go for help and mention that it's free and try and like make it cool to reach Mm -hmm. out for help. And then at the time, Catherine Zeta Jones was my hero. She still is, Um, but that's when she got outed for going to, um, like a residential treatment facility to, learn how to manage her um, depression symptoms. She has bipolar too. And so some jackass (laughs) went to this treatment center with her and got out and then told a reporter, oh, I was in there with Catherine Zeta-Jones. And so she faced this choice to either, you know, own up to it and say, yeah, I'm just taking care of myself. I was being proactive. I went to get the help that I needed and learn tools. Or, you know, oh yeah, my weird uncle, you know, uh, you know, he was in there and I, I went to visit like, yeah, she could have denied it or owned it or yeah. 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 She was, she was amazing. And I was just like, you know, accent pays all this money to all of these speakers who are just like promoting their new book. And I'm like, let's do something meaningful. Let's pay her to come. And, um, that obviously did not happen. Kat, but she's sponsoring this IG live on Cat Call right now. Rest assured, she's here in spirit. Catherine yeah. Zeta Jones. Yes, yeah, she's the in the queen. comment thread. I'll tell you that, which is as close to being here as possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. So that was the original idea. That didn't float. So we were like, all right, screw this. We're gonna. The world needs it. We're just gonna make a nonprofit, and you know, mm-hmm. UF will benefit from having the first chapter of it on its campus. And so that's, that's what we did. And then, you know, when I graduated and moved home, I moved headquarters to Jacksonville, Florida. So that's why mm-hmm. we're here. And um, I, you know, after I was the carpool mom, I then became the youth director at uh, my synagogue. So for two years, I ran youth group programming for kids, uh, fourth through 12th grade. That was awesome. Taught me a lot. Helped my skin grow in real thick. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <okay>. And management <laughs> of personalities and that that young tyrannical personalities. Just kids going wow. crazy. Yeah. I learned, though, I have a new appreciation for, like, the middle school variety of child. Um, yeah. That's like, you know, they're fully themselves at that point. They're the weirdest. Like, self-expression levels are, like, through the roof. And... <laughs> They are not self-conscious about anything, which is so refreshing. And they just crack me up. And, you know, it's it's weird. It's like that ninth grade, you know, the sun rises on their ninth grade year and all of a sudden they're self-conscious about everything. And it's yeah. like so sad to watch, but like 
those eighth graders are full of sass and they're just funky and i'm like i i am an eighth grader at heart yeah <laughs> at my heart have the confidence are you smarter than are you as confident as an eighth grader yeah it's um yeah that is that's that's so so true yeah they have that um that pre really in the thick of it puberty um um confidence that like pre yeah that's so that's so interesting yeah and it is true i think like middle schoolers are like brutally honest and i've heard a lot of teachers also say that that can be a challenging group to coach and to be with because they are coming into their own and their opinions and their own you know self-will and everything um but yeah something does happen in high school high school there's a those four years are brutal they can depend yeah, yeah and they can like the damage that gets done in those four years can carry you through through oh, yeah. your entire life yeah definitely yeah. i am um, this is weird i was actually just writing an email today i'm, I'm hosting a um, female founders circle tomorrow night um as one of our virtual event marathon events so we're talking about like what it's like to be a woman and run your own company and face pushback and like what that does to your mental health and how you balance it all so i'm super stoked send um, me the info because i'll post it on cat call so everyone yeah yeah absolutely awesome. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, so I'm super stoked about that. And in doing that, I'm sending emails to, you know, a wide variety of female friends. And so I'm like, how do you, what do you say to them? Yeah. Like, Hello, ladies. So I like typed first, like, hey, ladies. And so I'm personally scarred. I was walking behind some of like the more popular girls. Um, and this guy comes up and says, hey ladies from behind like so it's like he's behind me then there's me and then above like ahead of us are like the cool girls uh -huh. so he says hey ladies so i turn around and he and he says to me not you you <laughs> and i was just scarred so i don't say hey ladies to anybody Like I know boys get bullied too and, and everything, but I have, I remember like when I was 17 or 18, I was sort of dating a guy that was a couple years older and he told me that he could never actually date me because my boobs weren't big enough and he didn't like my body and didn't think that I had the body of a woman. And then like, yeah. And it like, you know, seven, whatever I was, 17, 18, whatever the age was, um, destroyed, you know, like, cause you're like, yeah, first off, first off. Fuck you. I'm 17. Yeah. Like, wanna, I'm where, 17. Where is he now? Can we add him to this call? Can I? Like, yeah, no. Yeah. He probably <laughs> doesn't even have a working phone. He's a loser. Like, he's like, he tried to be like, he thought he was a dating coach for a little bit. And I was like, that's hilarious. Because you're a, a what coach? A dating coach for a little while. Oh, because um, he's was, good at that. 
Yeah, I'm like, what are you going to tell guys? Like, listen, if whatever you don't like about her, just brutally tell it straight to her face and only hold her value and measure it based on the size of her breasts. That'll get you really far. Um, no, I don't, I really a don't plus. know. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> a plus, A plus advice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like so many things like that. And I feel like, you know, you end up rehashing them too in like your mid to late 20s, I think. Like a lot of stuff comes out that all of a sudden you're like, I think that's why I view myself this way or, you know. I got bullied. I was class president in high school. I had a lot of people not like me just because they just didn't like me. So I had my house egged. What? Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And like, you know, that doesn't, if you don't have like a strong parental unit or access to resources and friends, that stuff can really like, you know, you might not fully come back from it basically, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're showing them. Proving them oh, yeah. To all of them, but also yeah. I wish them well. Kindness kills. I hope they're good. I hope they're all good wherever they are. Um, but you you've mentioned something interesting. So and about this like female founders roundtable that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things, um, and I think that this is relatable to Stronger Than Stigma, and it's relatable to Cat Call, is the stigma around the world, the word crazy, and mm -hmm. also the stigma around women doing certain things. But I'd like to go into the word crazy because also as a domestic violence survivor. I hate that word and I hate the way it's used and much like how I named cat call to kind of take the power back on something that women deal with every day. I almost now am trying to love when someone calls me crazy because I'm like, you're right. I am. And I love it. And what does crazy mean? And like, you know, what is crazy really? You know? Um, so let's talk about that. Like the yes. stigma around that. Cause God, that's everyone's favorite insult. To I know. Women. So lazy. For women. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of stigma lives in language. And I think that language and how we speak, you know, if you're, if you're lazy, yeah, crazy is a good adjective because it just, you know, if you don't have a word for it, oh, it's crazy, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I actually, so I gave a TED talk in, or TEDx talk in Ooh. 2018 um, <laughs> where I'm, I'm, it's called The Stigma is Real. And I basically go through and talk about you know, what creates stigma and what you as an average Joe, everybody in their daily life can do to play a role in this because it's not, you know, a, a, it's not a problem. It's a big problem, but like if we all chip away at it. It's actually like really manageable. So like, mm -hmm. why um, yeah. so, but part of it is like our language is loaded. People make jokes up the wazoo living in Florida. I don't know how many times you've heard it, but I hear it all the time, especially in the summer where there's like, um, you know, sun showers one second mm -hmm. and it's bright. So people are like, oh, the weather is bipolar. And it's like, no, do you know what bipolar is? Like, you know, cyclical moods don't swap in an afternoon, you know, like chances mm -hmm. are it's months at a time. The depression is really what's notable. Like, you know, yeah. if, if yeah. you have a brief manic episode, I bet you it's that it's brief, you know, like it, yeah. it's just, it's not right. And so then who, who the hell wants to, to raise their hand and say, oh yeah, you know, Sally Ann over here has bipolar disorder because they're like, I'm not like the Florida weather. That stuff is messed up. I'm always stuck without an umbrella, you know? And um, yeah. it just, it just stinks, you know? And so I'm reading this now. Yeah. Bipolar is another misunderstood term. It so is because mm -hmm. people don't bother to read. I, I don't, I don't understand people. Um, so, yeah. you know, I talk about not making these jokes in casual conversation. And if you like, don't be a killjoy about it, but if you're, if you're hanging out with somebody and they make a joke that somebody's crazy or they're, you know, uh, bipolar or, what, or psychotic, you know, whatever, whatever other term they choose, 
if you don't feel comfortable like hopping in and giving them a lecture about how you know that's stigma inducing language mm -hmm. i'm not asking you to i'm just asking you to simply point out dude that's not cool like you know yeah. don't just let it roll off you just just acknowledge that you don't agree with it and don't egg them on to continue but you don't mm -hmm. have to you know bring out the the chalkboard and explain no. it. you know that's that's sometimes it's not the time and place for that so and i'm not, not like the that most effective strategy sometimes so that's very smart yeah I agree yeah with you. yeah yeah and it is i do we need more people like that like we do and i just think that we have too many sheep in society and we do need people to start speaking up and and being willing to fall on the sword for a cause or you know just making themselves uncomfortable but again we just live with too many people in society that aren't okay with making that social sacrifice is what i call it you know like like to be the person who's like you can't just say the r word that's really sent and you know that's insensitive yeah. and you you know that's actually a medical condition you're offending someone you're hurting someone um we have a we have a comment from steph let's see what steph yeah, says steph. society as a whole does not understand the term so then they just misuse it and does not help to erase the stigma thousand percent yeah yeah and unfortunately i just think that in a society now where we are as uh, the most open we've ever been right like look at the way we speak about gender and sexuality and and reproductive rights and things are on the table now which is beautiful and wonderful and important and that paired with our access to the internet to all of this information to so many media networks to so many so many things i'm just sorry but like ignorance isn't an excuse anymore just it's not for me like to just you know well you know what i mean no i don't know what you mean i just hear you calling a woman crazy because she had an emotional reaction or i just hear you right. dropping the r word and and not being mindful that someone in the room might have someone who's who's afflicted with a mental disorder you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. i just don't ignorance isn't an excuse anymore so yeah, yeah. you own if you have access to the internet then you have access to google and what's your problem or you can even you don't even have to type anything you just say hey siri what's a what's a what word should i use instead of crazy <laughs> right right and when you're not if you know and it doesn't and again too like there is room for human error and we have grace with these things and, and especially as a comedian i learn you know sometimes you say things on stage and then you're like i didn't mean it that way until you hear it back and stuff but i just think it's like the the conscious effort to just be a, be sensitive to circumstances that aren't yours yeah, and I think being humble too and recognizing sometimes you, the things that you say when you hear them back, they don't sound the way that you intended them to. And being like, all right, I made a mistake, sorry. But I still think it's cool that you're out there trying, you know? It's like, you don't, I think that what I've learned too, so I was actually a women's studies major, which I know makes me really, really cool. Um, oh, I love that. You know, I regret not studying that. I've actually thought of going and getting a certificate in like women's studies or something now. I might do it. I highly yeah. recommend. Um, yeah, so um, I remember learning, you know, the the ins and outs of like the F word, feminism, right? And there's so many different layers to it. And I, I had no idea that, you know, as a straight, white, cisgendered female, which I learned all those words there, um, that I was being told to like sit down and shut up to make room for, you know, these intersectionalities, which are really important for sure. You know, we have to acknowledge everybody who's having an experience and, and feminism is really just equality for, you know, all of the sexes, all the people, all the genders, all the things. Mm -hmm. So you really can't argue with it. Um, but I remember specifically there was like a Viva La Vulva event on, uh, on, was it, I don't know, it was off campus, but basically mm -hmm. people were doing like those, um, 
clay moldings. Like it was going to be a display of vulvas, right? And so mm -hmm. little old me, like I was like, Whoo -hoo -hoo. <laughs> <laughs> you're like vulvas. I'm there. <laughs> Trust me, feminism is my favorite F word. I love, I love just dropping it and getting the conversation going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, were we were talking about this event and everybody's like, celebrating how great it is because it's super out there right and like where else are you going to go to see a museum you know like an exhibit like this and yet this one woman schooled us she said you know this is absolutely horrific that we are not including transgender voices and you know trans women would not appreciate this because they cannot relate they do not have vulvas and i was just like shocked you know I, yeah. I i hadn't even thought about the fact that like raising one voice would would muffle out another like i didn't i just i didn't see it that way i, I like ignorance is bliss i i was not in a position where i was like oh let me worry about transgender rights but what now that i'm aware of it i'm like oh crap you know how can we not but then at the same time it's like how do we celebrate all people and make sure that like they all feel represented so i just i still credit you know the museum the exhibit took a lot of flack for that um but they weathered the storm and they still you know let the experience happen and i think that that's um what needed to happen but it was just really bizarre to see you know different groups and factions kind of get out each other's throats about that and i, I it taught me though the value i think also of improv because i so now that I've like dabbled in improv and stand up, I, I recognize how um, freeing improv is because it's okay for you not to know what just came out of your mouth. Like it's excused because it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's improv improvised. Like we're just, we're all just making things up. Um, yeah. Whereas stand up, it's assumed that you spent hours and hours choosing the right words and the syntax and whatever, and like emphasizing whatever words. So it's like, there's less, um, leeway you know like if you mess up it's like well you should have spent hours doing it so like bye. you should have come prepared you should know what your jokes are you should know right. what you're what you're giving off yeah exactly yeah so it's you know it's scary but then it, like to me improv is very brave because you're out there you don't have a script you don't know what's gonna happen you're taking a single suggestion usually pineapple from the audience <laughs> right or you if you have a dirtier crowd, it's something absolutely terrible that you don't yeah. even want to take. And you're like, someone's like, dildo. And you're like, did I hear Kiwi? Okay, yeah. Yep, Kiwi, yeah. <laughs> no, Mungo, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, I think, partially, too, in being any kind of public figure, I want to say comedians mostly, but any kind of public figure, you know, it, it is self-awareness. Like you have to be aware, especially in stand-up, of how it is you come off to an audience, right? Yeah. And that takes a lot of feeling sometimes. That takes a lot of sometimes like wondering why a joke doesn't work. And then it takes a friend of yours, another comic or something, just being like, do you know when you say that, it kind of makes it sound like this is your stance. And yeah. sometimes you don't know. But again, it's just it's just like the willingness to to be better and, and to, to, and yeah. Yeah, so yeah, one of my my co comedian buddies actually Salim is commenting away and agreeing with us and that's kind of cool. But I feel very supported right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think subtext means everything and you know, so it's it's interesting to you cuz that the protest that you're talking about and how there was like, you know, arguments with the transgender community not feeling represented in that protest and you something you said really stuck out to me about the the raising of one voice 
being the muffling of others, right? Um, and I agree with you that like, it's important to be mindful of all sides of an argument and all facets of the community and the human experience. But like, I think to your point as well too, like you have to strike a balance because even with catcall, like catcall, our target audience is female identifying femme women, right? Like that is us. We are open supporters of the homosexual and transgender communities, like absolutely. And it's something that we have a shared objective, which is our voices are often muddled and muffled and, you know, and are buried and ignored in society and in politics. So we have a shared goal. It's just my particular organization is focusing on this very specific voice. Um, so I I'll always reshare and repost and support like issues in the transgender community. But I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, should I be doing more messaging for it? Um, and I, I think, yeah, like, I don't think there's an exclusivity to it. I think, right. you know, just showing you're aware of it and you support those communities. Cause you can see we're really in it for the same reason. We're on each other's team here. Um, but I know like cat call specifically has a focus on, on that. Um, yeah. but it is such a fine line. And I do think we run into that now in society, especially when it comes to gender, like it's, there's so many competing voices and choices and lifestyles and things like that that it's like how do you get to everyone how do you consider everyone yeah yeah and i mean i think the honest truth is like you can't you don't you know you who you're yeah. you know who your targeted audience is and you speak to them and they love you for it and you know they carry you on on their shoulders and on their hands and it's great mm -hmm. um and and then you're just not other people's cup of tea and i think that growing up and like embodying you know an adult you know, outlook is just to say, all right, I get it. I, I hear you. I, you know, you don't have to agree with me. I don't have to agree with you. I'm going to go over here and tell my jokes, you know, to my people. And I'm sorry that you don't like them, but, but you know, there's a different comedian for you. Right. There's a different musician for you. There's a different movie for you. There's different, you know, anything. Um, And especially coming from the perspective of being people who are stepping up into a position of leadership, are trying to have a public persona, and are building an organization, something that has legs and needs to grow and move forward. Logistically speaking, you and I, in your organization and in mine, it, we they would collapse if we tried to focus on. Yeah, you can't. You can't right? be all things to all people. You can't be all things to all people. Exactly. So it's like you know, you can be mindful of them, and you can choose like where your organization places its public support. Um, but in order for these things to move forward, like if your audience is everyone, your audience is no one at the same yeah. time. And even I, if you're, yeah, no, yeah, go ahead. So I've, um, you know, we targeted our audience as, you know, this is a millennial based organization. It's for us, by us. Our board of directors looks like the people that we are targeting. Like we Love are that. all about making sure that our voice is heard as our generation, because we strongly believe that our generation is going to be the one that breaks down all of the barriers. And our goal is, you know, we're, we're at this pivotal point where I think that, um, you know, older generations are finally starting to listen to us and hear what we have to say and say, okay, that, you know, that, that's actually true. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but then my, my dream and my goal is that the younger generations are looking up to us. They're watching the example that we set and, and hopefully the generation after Gen Z comes up and goes, what stigma? Like, yeah. what, do you mean? what do you mean you couldn't go to therapy? That's, that's so weird. Like I go every Wednesday. Yeah. I, I, I want to live in that world. You know, I, I want to be part of the movement and it doesn't just have to be me and it doesn't just have to be stronger than stigma. It needs to be, you know, this broad based bringing in of all of the different 
voices. And I just so happen to represent the millennial voice. And that's mm-hmm. my goal. I'm not mm-hmm. trying, you know, and, and it's funny because I've been told by people that I, you know, the audience is too exclusive. Like, why am I not trying to let in older voices? And I'm like, I will never kick you out. You know, if you, if you yeah. belong here and you think that the things that we say resonate with you, then come to an event, you know, like I, some of my favorite community members are in their 50s and 60s, but they don't give me shit for being 27. They celebrate the fact that I am I'm able to, you know, create community and bring people together. And I think if anything, they're a little worried that they might feel left out or judged. And we're we're just so thrilled that somebody older and wiser agrees with what we're saying. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, yeah. That's so. That's, that's, and then, so I think that's really been a strength of ours, though, to say like, listen, we're fighting for mental health advocacy on all levels but at the end of the day we have done our job if we hit our targeted market and so if millennials relate to what we say and we're helping them feel comfortable in their skin and they're having conversations that trigger more conversations and we're all you know getting more used to having these open dialogue um dialogues i don't know if that's plural anyway things saying things um so if we're if we're getting more comfortable with this topic you know and we're hitting you know the um millennial demographic then then we've done our job so if somebody is upset i actually there was um any and i actually oh you weren't there on that part of the tour but we uh, josh and i met this really cool um veteran who hosted us in south carolina and so he's been he was great and promoted that show and then recently he's been promoting the things we're doing for the event marathon and he's never seen mean girls right so he tuned in <laughs> to watch the mean girls trivia and then apparently like got offended by a line in the movie like it wasn't anything that we were saying that we had written yeah. like Tina Fey wrote it you know and so I just you know I got a I got a message and I felt really really bad you know like I'm I'm so sorry I, I never meant to offend you I you know I don't know how old he is but he's not a millennial and so mm-hmm. um I just had to have one of those like put on your big girl panties and deal with it moments of saying yeah and I'm, I'm really sorry that we offended you. Like, just so you know, for the record, like that's not a personally held belief. It's just a quote, it's a line from a movie. I hope you'll tune into something else that strikes your fancy. Like we, we definitely, you're welcome here. But yeah. I think he knew going into it that like he didn't know Mean Girls, but at the same time, it was, I think it was a learning experience for all of us. And it- For everyone, yeah. Of, it gave me perspective. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And it's, um. It's also like, you know, a lot of people haven't read, like, there's a great book. You may probably have already read it, The Four Agreements. I don't know if you've, if no. you've read it. It's a really good one. I um, mean, one of them is, like, nothing is ever actually personal. Um, and I think that that's, that's a good way of going about life um, because I do think as human beings, we're inclined to think that the world revolves around us sometimes, too. And I'm not even necessarily speaking about him, but just in general. Right. Um and it's very, it's very easy for us to take things very personally. Same thing in like a comedian's audience, you know, when they're like, I didn't like that joke. It's like, just, just don't laugh. Trust me, not laughing is enough of a strife for a comedian, you know, like it doesn't all need to be taken personally. You know, I think we know when someone's actually trying to like take a jab at our character or like but really it's hard to, too, you know, like I, I'm definitely one of those people. I, I think there's like scientific studies done on it all the time that like, we, we can take in and absorb a lot of positive things, but they don't stick. It's like that one negative thing, even though like, you know, if you have a scale, it's tipped towards the positive, like the good outweighs the bad, but like this, 
this little tiny thing that somebody wants really? wants it. Yeah. 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 And that's just how I think our brains are wired as well too. And it's, um, I think that's something that like, when you are trying to correct your mindset, especially now during quarantine, where like you're alone with your thoughts and you can often find that 98% of them are pretty negative and bleak and not pretty. You know, I think it's like, something that I've learned in my mental health journey is that it's, it's a muscle and you're literally correcting like years and years and years of social conditioning to like look for the worst in a situation, view things negatively. We're just a pessimism oriented society. It's like just what it is. Like, it's not even realist. It's just like, it's, it's, just how it works it's how the human brain works again too like how you said like we look for the the fallacy we look for the crack in the puzzle um so i just think like i always try and remind myself mostly especially during this present time that i'm like it's okay if you have a setback and you spiral a little or you have a bunch of thoughts that upset you like this this isn't second nature this is something you have to flex and build yeah and you're not your thoughts I think that people people don't recognize that either, I think, until they have an experience with depression or anxiety and, and something literally, like, overtakes them. Because those that's the disease, right? So, like, your brain will be filled with anxiety-provoking or inducing thoughts or, you know, depression is just, like, to me, it's just morbid and, and forlorn. Like, I, I don't – any word you have to describe sad, it's, like, those things plus numbness where it's, like, things are sad and bad in your head, but at the same time, like you don't care. Like, cause you're just like, I can't change this. This is just the way it is now. Yeah. And you just are carrying the weight of your own brain. Every yeah. Day. I love this. Don't believe everything you think. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. I actually had advice. Hope, um, who was on last night had told me this like months ago when I was, and I mentioned this on the chats before when I was like really beating myself up and like perceptions. I was just having one of those days when you're like in your head about yourself and your perception or how people perceive you. Um, And she was just like, I would nine times out of 10, the negative things that you think about yourself, uh, people aren't thinking about you, but it's very real in your mind. And also like, it's just human nature that you turn the volume up on the negative stuff. So whatever it is you're thinking or you're concerned about is, it's like bouncing off the reverb that's being created in your brain. Like, it's just like, yeah. And it's, it's really cool to be able to have a friend like that, that you can go to and you can say, Hey, this is what's going on in there. I need you to tell me if it's true, because we, we lose the ability to make that judgment call for ourselves. And then, you know, going back to like the people calling each other crazy point, we've been conditioned that if we ask for external validation, that we're needy or that, you know, we don't have, we have low self-esteem or like all of these negative things, especially that we tell women. Right? Yeah. And we tell men that. So we tell women, you know, if, if you rely on external validation that, you know. You're insecure. Yeah. And yeah. That's a good one. You know, yeah. and it's like, that's not, that's not the truth. If you're approaching it from a way of like, you cannot function without somebody telling you you're awesome, then maybe like, hey, I'll see you in therapy. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but if, if you're somebody who has a level head on their shoulders and you recognize that sometimes the thoughts in your head are not, ones that you're proud of or comfortable with, then sharing them with somebody else and asking for an outside opinion, I don't think is wrong or bad at all. I, no, I it's welcome not. It. no, it's not. Yeah, because it's you can recognize that the, you have, instead of paying attention to what the actual reality of the situation is, you've now let your mind be reality. Your mind is doubling as what you think real life is. Um, and yeah, I remember, you know, in my bouts with depression too, it was, it's such a vicious cycle because it is like negative thoughts, 
and numbness and you have no control over your own brain and body. Like you just feel like no matter what you do, it's not going to work. And that's actually the voice playing on a loop on a marquee in your head. Is that why bother to even make myself better? Because I, I don't even think it's going to work. Right. Because yeah. you're just caught in this like, yeah. And, this, and this, it's this, weird this cycle. because like everything they tell you to do to, to feel better in a depressive episode takes time. Nothing is a quick fix. The medicine yeah. takes weeks to adjust to, you know, meditation. You're not good at it when you first sit down. It doesn't help you. It doesn't do diddly squat. Let's be real. You, you yeah. know, practice for a reason, you know, um, learning to retrain your thoughts and the grooves in your mind and, and say positive things to yourself to argue back with the thoughts. Like, I, I guarantee you that's where a therapist will start with you if you walk in and you say, I'm depressed. I'm having scary thoughts. Like, this is what's going on in my head. They will say, Tell me about a thought that you have. Tell me when it enters your brain and let's argue with it. You know, let's let's arm you with the ability to say, no, that's not right. Just shut it down. Yeah. 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 But all yeah. of those like, things are hard work and none of them, you're not good at any, like, I don't know how we get born and function in society till, you know, things crash that we realize, crap, we don't really have coping skills. Like eating Ben and Jerry's is not a coping skill. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah. And you do, it's, um, yeah, and also, too, it can be hard to self-identify depression, too, because sometimes if you've never experienced it before, um, and I also feel like something you were saying, too, about, like, how it wasn't being talked about a lot in 2013, like, I feel this way about domestic violence as well. I feel like both causes are over-sensationalized mm -hmm. in in media, and they're, and they're looked at, like, and I think that's why people have a general misunderstanding of what intimate partner violence looks like, because they see it in movies or TV shows, and it's like very exaggerated or very over the top or or it's just not the it's not the objective of that film or tv show so it's not portrayed in that way and i feel like depression is too you know you see a commercial about depression and it's someone hysterically crying when well, that's interesting because when i went through my worst bout of depression i wish i could have cried i literally exactly. couldn't feel anything anything at all yeah and then that's when i was like i'm broken like i am broken yeah right and it, it's it, both of those both of these issues, I think, are very heavy on the victim blaming mentality because, yeah. you know, like people with domestic violence, I think their first question is always like, well, why didn't you leave? And it's like all the time. And it's you the don't most know. heartening question. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. if I could have, I would have. Like, don't you don't you think that I have enough agency and I'm a smart enough woman that like, you know, I I don't know your situation. Right. Like, nobody yeah. does. Stop assuming. Anyway, name me anything in life that's that. Um, that has that clear of a duality to it. That's that black or white, up or down, on or off. Like, it's like absolutely everything has layers to it. And again, that goes back to the ignorance we talked about with using stigmas and using language, where it's just like, sometimes if it doesn't affect people, they just don't bother to understand it. So they see it from the outside. And believe me, this is someone who's learned that lesson the hard way that many, many years ago used to look at people in abusive relationships and think she's out of, she's out of her mind. Like, why would you stay with someone? I could never imagine say I was that person. I was also young and dumb and not at, you know, like I, all of these things, but I was like, I would never, I would never. And then fast forward, I was in a two and a half, three year relationship. And I was, you know, so that, that for me opened my eyes to like, everything is more complicated than what you see what you see on the surface and like more things are always at play especially when it comes down to human emotions and hormones and chemicals and neurons and things okay. like that for it's sure. impossible yeah no and i just like i hope that your whole audience applauds you for going through that like a boss and taking care of things the way that you had to take care of them it was not 
not fun, I know, and I know that it got complicated and yeah, messy. So, thank you. I um, so we have I think like two or three minutes left um on the live, but I don't want Instagram to cut us off because it's very rude when they do that. <laughs> it's very rude. <laughs> um, but we have a question from Caitlin. Um, so I guess we'll let. I think you've got about two or three minutes, Gab. But Caitlin wants to know what your thoughts are on Thirteen Reasons Why, mm. the show on Netflix. Yeah, so I'm curious too. So I actually refuse to watch it. Um, I do not like things that over sensationalize, um, you know, suicide. And I, I just, my, okay. I, I guess my, my problem with it is that I'm definitely somebody who believes in like leading by example. And I really feel the weight on my shoulders of like people watching me and how I approach pop culture that references mental health and all this kind of stuff. And the more I read about it, the more I read that it's geared towards, I think it's high school students. Mm -hmm. high school? So it's in a high, it takes place in a high school. So you know that like the, the audience, you know, I think they're hoping to appeal to high school students who are, impressionable you know they're young they don't understand anything that's going on nobody there's no health class that mentions you know these are the signs and symptoms of a serious mental health issue that can be you know um treated and you can function healthfully and like everything's going to work out okay nobody tells you that so you're just like in this dire state and to then show teens look how sexy this is that you know look you have a way out or look you you know don't bother don't bother trying to live with it just end it it's like no that's so wrong that's not the message that anybody wants to see i think that the um you know the production company should honestly be ashamed of themselves i understand i think that they had to come back and like rewrite an ending to one of the seasons because mm -hmm. i think that I, I hope that somebody sent them hate mail to the point where they recognize shit you know <laughs> like this is we, an over-the-top portrayal it's not correct Yes. Yeah, and, and it's like they have such power. And I think that the best companies and the best corporations and the best that corporate America can do is be self-aware and recognize that they hold that power and to do something positive with it, to show positive messages, to even show somebody struggling with suicidality and saying, I recognize that this isn't normal and that I can heal and I can get help and I'm going to make that phone call. Show me a scene where they call the suicide hotline and it works because that's what happens for millions of Americans. They reach out and they get the help that they need and life goes on and, and they are empowered to help others based on that experience. It's really mm -hmm. humbling, you know? And so, no, I'm not about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it, but I, every, you made a solid argument and, and that is very scary that high school kids are their demo as well. Yeah. Um, and it's how I feel about a lot of mainstream media portrayal of domestic violence too. Like it's, um, sometimes it's very over the top and you can tell it's just done for theatrical shock value. And I'm like, I would love to see a scene that's just, um, a woman being devastatingly gaslit, like maybe not even a hand getting lit on her, but her like mental security just being destroyed. Cause it's just, you could always tell it's not actually written by, by survivors, you know, it's not accurate portrayal. Um, Gab, this was incredible. Thank you so, so much. Thank um, you. Um, yeah, we have about a minute left. And I don't want Instagram to be rude and cut us off. Um, but guys, follow Gab. Follow Stronger Than Stigma. Um, send me the female founders table, and I'm going to put it all over Cat Call Socials. Um, and you're Thank doing you. incredible work. Thank and you. Thank you for supporting it. I, I so appreciate you. <laughs> always, always, always. Um, I love you so much, and I'm driving to surprise you in Jacksonville soon. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Bye, Gab.
拜，嘛。